We are finally back today, guys. A day late, but the Blue Bloods are here with another full episode of college football content for your Tuesday. We start the episode by discussing the latest updates from the Pac-12 Player Union and their official demands for the NCAA and the conference. We then move on to discuss the latest announcement from the SEC about what their plan is for the 2020 season. We have a different ending today. We usually wrap it up with recruiting update, but we only got three segments today, so we're going to wrap it up with the latest accusations about Gary Patterson at TCU. We have a full show today, guys, so let's kick it off. So late yesterday, the Pac-12 players who I, I would say unionized finally released their demands in an essay in the Players' Tribune, which was titled as hashtag we are united. And if you were on Twitter yesterday, that hashtag was found all over Twitter yesterday, retweeted and tweeted by endless amounts of Pac-12 players who are involved in this. Um the document makes some strong claims, guys. I mean, it even goes as far as to say the NCAA is exploiting African-American athletes and much more. But we're going to break this down here um, and debate which which request players will or will not get. We're also g- going to give our opinions on some of the newer things that have been addressed in this and what we think about just this, I guess, this movement as a whole. So, Brandon... Let's get to breaking it down. In my notes, I have I literally have pretty much the entire document written down. So I can we're going to break it down by section. And the very first section in this document is titled Health and Safety Precautions. It has two requests. Um, the first is to allow the option for players not to play during the pandemic without losing, this is key, eligibility or a spot on the roster. And the second thing is to prohibit or void any COVID-19 agreements or liability waivers that players may or may not have signed yet. Um, so, Brandon, what is your take on at least this first part of the request by the players? I mean, in an ideal world, in a world where I make all the rules, this one's going to go. I mean, this one's going to pass. I mean, it's like a no-brainer. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to make these athletes play um, and then potentially lo- – or potentially lose their spot if they choose safety over, um, over playing in a pandemic. Um, obviously there's a lot of rules going on and I'm, I'm not positive. So are these players making an appeal to the PAC 12 or are they making the, like not an appeal? Are they, are they making these requests to the PAC 12 or to the NCAA? Um, a bit of both, but mostly the PAC 12. See the PAC 12 can't do anything about that. You know, if they're like, Hey, we want our eligibility. Like, what's the Pac-12 going to do about that? <laughs> they can't. They can't just be like, "Oh yeah, let's let's." Who cares about the NCAA regulations because they're just our boss? Um, 
I mean, what are they well, going to do? Yeah, I mean, well, the NCAA definitely is included, but I mean, I feel like this puts more pressure on the Pac-12 because let's say the Pac-12 completely boycotts. Um, what are they going to do? Make uh, They could just make the AAC a Power 5 conference for one year. That's what I'm saying. Like, like you cut the Pac-12, what are you really losing? I mean, you're losing Oregon. Pac-12, you're losing- at, no- Pac-12 at dark or well, after dark. That's, that's, that's exciting. That- that is key. I do enjoy that. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't see this as realistic. I, I think that these players are more than welcome to sit out. But, I mean, that's at their own risk, obviously. I mean, they can either play and and catch the – maybe or potentially catch this virus or they cannot play and potentially lose their scholarship. And it sucks. I'll say that. But – I'm I'm strictly analyzing it. I mean, that, that's just I don't see a world in which the NCAA is like, okay, well, if you sit out this year, uh, unless they did it like, you know, NCAA wide, they're not just going to do this for the Pac-12. Yeah, and so I, I kind of I think I we're on the same side to a point. I like you said, I really support and like these these set of demands. I think this section is probably the strongest out of the entire document that they've released so far. I mean, it is a huge risk. I mean, we're doing conference only, but me, Brandon, we've talked about it on the podcast, a trip from Miami, Florida to Boston to play a game is a long way. Oh yeah. And from Washington down to Arizona, down to Tucson to play at the university of Arizona. That's a long, long trip. That's, uh, that's multiple hours on a plane and, that increases your risk. So, I mean, they're, they're, they are risking a lot to play a season. but And especially if a player has a medical reason to sit out. If a player has asthma, it's already dangerous for them to be playing football in the first place on top of a pandemic in which a respiratory virus is, taking, is really affecting this country. I mean, can you really blame a player for sitting out? I don't think you can. And, yeah. and we see it with someone like Dante Hightower who just had an eight-month-year-old kid. I mean, I, if I had an eight-month-year-old kid, I'm probably not going to work right now, just in case. Right. But, you know, I think we've seen this in the NFL. I have not had a single problem with players not wanting to risk their health for the season. And I actually think the NCAA and the Pac-12 will come together and grant them this. And the, and the here's the reason I said it. I, I, I think this, at least, is in, nego- in negotiations, you ask for the world and hope to get, you know, a little bit of that. And I think some of their other claims that we're going to come across here in just a minute are so outrageous that the NCAA is going to give them this so they don't have to give them stuff that we're going to talk about in a minute. No, no that's, that's that brings up a good point. Um, I actually heard the argument today that uh, I guess maybe the Pac-12 players have been reading maybe Art of the Deal. Uh, maybe they're big Donald Trump fans and They've been reading that book, so now they're like right now. Right now, what they're doing is anchoring. They are uh, making like ridiculous requests, so that maybe some of their less ridiculous requests get met. You know, what do they have to lose? Yeah, I don't think either of these are ridiculous per se either. I mean, I think no, no, these no, no, are no, 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 pretty not, reasonable. Not, the, not no, no, not the. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Like later on down the road, we're going to see the ridiculous requests, so that when it gets back around to what we just mentioned, and maybe. A few other things, they're like, well, that's not that bad. Let's just let them have that. 
Yeah, and speaking about ridiculous requests, let's move on to the next uh, part of the, I guess, proposal. I'm gonna call it a proposal. I like that. They don't. I think that I don't know exactly what they call it, but I, I think a proposal is a perfect word for it. But it's titled "Protect All Sports," Brandon. There we go. And as you're gonna find out, it's funny they they named this section "Protect All Sports," but the section after this. They absolutely screw every other sport other than the football, but we'll get to that. That's one of my critiques to this. So the first thing in this section is for Larry Scott and multiple and, and all the head coaches in the Pac-12 to voluntarily and drastically reduce their excessive pay. And that's the key. They call it excessive pay. The second thing is to end all performance and academic bonuses and coaches' contracts. And then third, this one, I have a whole lot to say about this third one, um, is to end lavish facility expenditures and use some of the endowment funds these universities have to preserve the other sports. So, Brandon, I'll let you take this one because I have a lot to say about this section. And I'm going to hurt some feelings on this one, but I'll let you go ahead and take this one first. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't help but feel like this request would be a little bit more reasonable. Um, had I not just recently started watching uh, season five of Last Chance U, it's out now, guys. I, we're not sponsored by Last Chance U, but we, we'd certainly love to be. Oh, so. Yeah, we'd love to be. So if you know them, uh, we'll, we'll make a we'll, – <laughs> they're about to move to basketball, right? We'll make a basketball podcast to keep yeah, we'll, being sponsored. We'll switch over and we'll do whatever needs to happen. Shout out Netflix. Um, maybe we just keep shouting out Netflix. They'll sponsor us eventually. But uh, <laughs> shout out Nick for the idea. What a what a great idea. But um, no, I mean, it's – you see some of the situations that players are put in. And it's not necessarily in the NCAA, but it's throughout collegiate sports, period. You know, like I just said with Last Chance U, they're in California for season five uh, in Oakland. And you see these players, I mean, the previous seasons, I thought, I, you know, I didn't think these kids had it like great. You know, they got a dorm. Um, I didn't realize until this past season that like they got like two scholarships per team. So that kind of sucks for everyone who's not those two players who's, who's just really, you know, a lot of these kids don't want to be there for school. They want to be there. You know, they don't want to be at community college to study uh, elementary algebra. They want to be in community college to play football. Yeah, that's just what they want to do. Um, and they ended up having to pay for that, you know, to get the chance to move on to, you know, maybe a four-year university to play football. But now in California, there's no dorms at community colleges. Um, there's no scholarships whatsoever. So these kids are like working full-time jobs, going to school and also playing football. And then you look over to the NCAA where you see these kids who aren't allowed to work. So they're not working. Um, they're getting these stipends, like Zach said. Not everybody, but some of them. And then they just—I mean, it—it it just seems like they want more and more and more. Um, which I understand for some of these kids. You know, not everyone's on scholarship. I understand that. And th- these kids should absolutely be allowed to work, but they're not. Um, that's a whole other story. I don't know. It, it seems a little bit ridiculous to be like, "Hey, give us some of that money that you're spending to make our lives easier," right? Yeah, and you know, so. I'll start at the top. No one's taking a pay cut, guys. Um, especially the head of the NCAA, any of the big coaches. I mean, let me just say this. Okay, Brandon, Nick Saban's making nine to 10 mil a year. Okay. That's his salary currently. Um, the Alabama athletic department brought in $77 million last year. Um, 
which so that's what Nick Saban is making. Let's just say what like seven percent of what they're bringing in, or something like that. Like even less, maybe. He's right. not making a lot. How much of that seventy-seven million do you think Saban was actually responsible for, Brandon? What would you say, sixty-nine point eight million of it? Well, <laughs> well, first of all, nice. Second of all, um, probably more. To be honest with you, because uh, I don't know if any. Al- we probably have Alabama fans listening. And if you want us to go back to the to the Mike Shula days, we can because I remember that program, and I know that you probably blocked it out of your memory at this point. But it was it was not good. No, and listen, it, it, this is going to sound bad, and I'm going to sound like an a hole. But I, I mean, really and truly, Nick Saban's probably underpaid for what he brings to Alabama football. How I many mean, national championships has he won with that school? What six? Yeah, out of their, six, out of the seventeen that they claim, and then or however many it is, like the eleven like, they actually have, or something yeah, like that. So, so and he's and won, that, he's won more than half of those, and that's not even including the one he won at LSU, right? And I mean, this like, okay, so he's getting paid nine to ten million in Alabama. If he was a free agent, like you could have, like let's just say football. How much do you think a university would pay for Nick Saban right now if they could like get him for just market value? Uh, how much is he making right now? Nine to ten mil a year. Oh, e- twenty easy, 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 easy. I think a Texas booster would give him thirty. Maybe if he That's- requested it. Oh yeah, if he's like, I'll come, I'll I'll go coach at UT. But I need thirty million dollars desperately. You know, you don't think they're pulling that money together? I'd pull it together. Auburn, that's listen, oil. That's, it, that's oil money. Do it. If if Auburn's listening, I'll chip in. <laughs> I'll chip in my entire paycheck. You can have all my scholarships, funding from grad school. Look, offer him fifty mil a year. I don't care. I'll take. I'll take the national championships. As an Auburn fan, I mean, I'm sure as much as you love Coach O, if it came down to Nick Saban or Coach O, I promise you every LSU fan that tells you they'll take Coach O over Nick Saban is a liar. Uh, I'm, I, I can't speak to that. <laughs> I'll just say it. And so number two, okay, like I get it. There are some like outrageous things built in and the the argument here is coaches shouldn't be getting bonuses for things they should already be doing. But at the same time, these performance bonuses aren't just, hey, win us six games and you get a bonus. Like the bonus, if the bonus is, hey, if you win a national championship, you get, you get extra money. That's fair, right? I right. mean, th- that's, uh, but I get they should probably end those stupid bonuses. Like if you make a bowl game, you get a bonus. It's like, no, do something extraordinary and then we'll get a bonus. But number two, I really don't care. If it's accepted or not, it's probably not going to be accepted, to be honest with you. But number three is where it, it becomes a huge problem for me. Okay. And okay. It's, it, uh, you might not understand why, but here I am to explain it. Um, so these players want universities and athletic departments to stop investing in facilities that benefit them directly. Is that what I'm is that what is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, these these multi million dollar facilities they built directly for you you're upset about and these are brandon these are the same facilities that these players cite when saying this is why i went to the school i mean i get what you're saying i hear you i mean okay 
Brandon, do you think if let's just take a Pac-12 school since this deals with the Pac-12, do you think any of these Oregon players were complaining on their visit to Oregon about how nice everything was? No, absolutely not. Um, and let's just go outside of Pac-12. Do you think Bama, Clemson, LSU are complaining about the new locker rooms and player development stuff they just got built? No, there's no shot. Okay. These facilities strictly go towards making these student athletes who are complaining their time, their experience at the university better. So please save me this like, Oh, woe is me. Like Brandon, if you went to, so if you went to even walk into some of these facilities that um, are so nice, w- would you even be able to get in? No, no, they, they have pictures of me at the door. That's like, do not let the shit. <laughs> I've, I've, I've acquired quite the reputation. Listen, I'm a uh, like I was a student athlete tutor for K State, and I tutor in the athletic department building that they just built. If I even walk toward the door of the players' lounge, there's someone at a desk asking me why I'm there, and I have to show them my ID that I'm a tutor while I'm in that building. <laughs> they and, said you and, don't play sports. And, and, no and I'm employed, <laughs> and I'm employed for them. So, and Brent, I just want to highlight this. Okay, so Clips's facility has been named probably one of the nicest in college football. This is what is in their, in their athletic development building right now. Okay. I'm about to go down the list and I want to, I want you to tell me which things these play, which thing makes this player's lives so bad. They have to complain. Okay. I just want you to point out one thing. All right. They have a 50 person pool in hydrotherapy, um, hot tubs. Yeah. It sounds pretty awful. Um, nap and recovery rooms. Oh, the worst. An exclusive dining facility. I sure hate that. <laughs> An x-ray facility in case they get hurt. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, and just for fun, Brandon, this is the, now this is all fun stuff. Uh, they have a 15 foot high slide, 20 foot long to get across the different stories of the building. Okay. I'll admit that one sounds really fun. <laughs> and, and listen, and this is outside. Now we're going outside. They have volleyball courts, basketball courts, a mini golf course, and an outdoor exclusive kitchen and grill. Um, in the building, they also have a player's lounge that includes a golf simulator, a bowling alley, a laser tag arena, and a video game arcade. I mean, it just sounds like simply the best. <laughs> and then they have an exclusive barber shop. And Brad, I want to ask, do you think they hire any uh, crappy barbers in that barber shop? No, 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 they don't. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, th- these players are just saying the university doesn't care about them after football, right? That's been a huge thing, correct? Right. Clemson's last part of this um, exclusive building is called the Paul Journey, and it's extended learning classes to connect athletes for life after football. That sounds like that. They just have it the worst, right, Brandon? Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, so you're telling me that the NCAA and these schools are exploiting you, but I've taken any, like what player is complaining about this? And that that's, and I know, and I, I've been reading tweets from all these big people. I mean, I've been looking at our, like Cole Kublik, who was on the podcast, Reese Davis, Kurt Herbst. I've been following all these people on this thing. And I think this is why if you listen to our interview with Kublik, he got so upset when these players are comparing it to something like slavery, because the, you have stuff like this that's made directly for you. You're getting stipends, you're getting money, you're getting free food, fame and attention and the opportunity to go on and make millions. And so I just think it's blasphemy, man. I I think 
it is a shame that this is what it's come to. And that's why I have such a big problem with number three. It's because the only reason they do that is because y'all made them feel like they had to do it. Right. I get that. It's it's outrageous. But we're going to move on, guys. Enough of my old man rant here. Um, And we're going to go to a part of the, I guess, uh, proposal that I really like. And it was titled, In Racial Injustice in College Sports. Um, Brandon, this thing had three parts. The first was to form a permanent civic engagement task force made up of leaders and experts of the player's choice. Two, in partnership with the Pac-12, only 2% of the revenue will be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income African-American students, community initiatives, and a developmental program for athletes. Um, and then three is a form an annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with the rep, with a guaranteed repre, repre, representation of at least three athletes from each school. Um, so Brandon, your take on this, I just want to say, I love this part of the proposal. Yeah, no, this part, I, I, I do like it, especially with everything that's, uh, I mean, I, I'd hate to say everything that's going on today with everything that's gone on in the past, uh, I guess, history of the United States. This is a good thing to see. Um, uh, and it's not just, Oh, you know, this isn't Brandon being, Hey, I, you know, any kind of way, I don't know who's listening to this, but Come on. I mean, let's face reality. We we can see the things that are going on today. We understand, you know, whether you like it or not, there's something going on right now that that is bigger than all of us. And and we need to take a second and reflect on that. So to see this representation, you know, because a lot of the reason that we're seeing this proposal in the first place is because there are a lot of African-American athletes who feel underrepresented in a league where I don't know the exact percentage, but it's a majority of African-American athletes playing in the NCAA right now, you know, and they feel underrepresented. So why not have something like this? I mean, it's, it's, who's it hurting? Uh, This can only do good is what I'll say. So I applaud this. Yeah. I mean, I think we both agree. So Brandon, I broke it down. 2% of the PAC 12 revenue would be about $10 million for this cause. And I think that's, that, that's going to create a lot of opportunities for underrepresented communities. I would like to see it expanded to all underrep- underrepresented communities because I think even with, especially in the Pac-12 with schools that recruit a lot from like Hawaii and stuff like that, I think you see a, a very, very diverse. I think the Pac-12 is a very, very diverse conference in terms of this. So I, I would love to see that $10 million put to good use. And I think the summit is huge because it, like it allows the players who already have huge voices to be on the forefront of a fight for the equality. I mean, you, we've already seen that with the Hubbard at Oklahoma State. Colin Hill made a state change its whole flag with one tweet. Right. I mean, if you told anybody that a running back of Mississippi State was going to make the state of Mississippi change its flag, that it would not change for anybody, you would have called everyone crazy. Yeah, but, right. He did that, and I think the key is allowing the players to pick. I hope the Pac-12 sticks to this because how does someone not not from that community pick unbiasedly or pick correctly someone to speak on behalf of them? I mean, and the whole problem here is these players feel like they're not represented appropriately. So I think we need a, we need people from that community to pick 
speakers and leaders based on who they feel like are is the voice of their community, who they want to hear speak, who they feel like their opinions are valid, not Pac-12 officials who seem to already already be accused and seem to be out of touch with what's going on here. And I think this entire section is going to be approved by the Pac-12. And I think if it's approved, I would I really, really hope we see some like tangible changes due to this provision and this proposal, because I think really, really good things could come from this. Yeah, I agree with. And, you know, we got one more one more point, Brandon, and this is where it's going to get a little iffy. We got the economic freedom and equity clause of this proposal. It has eight parts. Um so we can break it down in little chunks. The first one, we're going to skip. We already covered this, Brandon. It's the medical insurance for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID, for six years after eligibility ends. We both said um, it's probably going to happen, but I don't know. We, we Both of us are questioning if it's going to be six years. It won't be. Yeah, it won't be, but... I'm really glad to see COVID included because I think that's important because we don't know the long-term effects of this, this virus yet. Um, two also going to skip, but we'll break it down. We'll, we'll just kind of address it. The freedom to secure representation and receive basic necessities from any third party and er- and the ability to earn money for their name, image, and likeness. Me and Brendan have both supported this from the jump. This is important because these players should be able to make money off of, you know, like you said, I mean, I think it was what a few episodes ago, you said how many Joe Burrow jerseys can be found in Baton Rouge right now? So many. Joe Burrow didn't make a single dollar off of it. So I think number two and number one are both going to be accepted with with small revisions. Three, distribute 50% of the conference revenue evenly among athletes in the respective sports. So Brandon, I want to, I want to break this down a little bit further because I think uh, I, this is different than what was originally proposed and we'll get to it in a second, but I'll break down the last few points. The fourth one is a six year athletic scholarship to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. Um, Five, eliminate all policies and practices restricting or deterring freedom of speech and allowing players to be involved in activities outside of mandatory athletic participation, such as charity work. Um, Six, new transfer rule. They're allowed to transfer one time without punishment and additionally in cases of abuse or negligence. Um, Seven, the ability to complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if the player goes undrafted and or forgoes professional participation within seven days of the draft. And eight, they just want basic due process rights. They didn't really expand on this, so uh, but that's where they left it. So there's a lot to unpack here, Brandon. Uh, but I do want to break down the 50% uh, revenue. So, you know, I, I just... <laughs> Brandon, I, I know how you feel about it. I did some research. I found a 2017 report, um, and it broke down that college sports generated $14.1 billion in 2017. Okay. Um, but once you break it down into the different sports and how much they brought in, um, college football brought in 31 Point nine million dollars oh, wow. in this okay. in this thing, 
the next 35 sports combined only brought in 31.7. Yeah, it's tough. And um, so I want you to I, – I did some math. According to this report, women's softball players would evenly split the $697,000 that women's softball brought in across the country. I, I um, mean, it's nuts. Brandon, there's 32,000 softball players in the NCAA during that year. You know, okay. that's that's about $10 a player once you cut that $697,000 in half. Yeah, I don't know, man. It that's the numbers speak for themselves, guys. If you can't form your own opinion on this, this I mean, $10 so either football players are going to take a pay cut or they're going to have to be the most hated athletes on campus and look other athletes in their eyes and say, Hey, like, you know, we fought for all these rights, but they benefit us way more than they benefit you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry. And, this is, that's my bad. Yeah. And you know, this is even more troubling in this report, Brandon, only 3% of all schools in the NCAA, that's D one, D two, D three, all that only 3% of those schools brought in over 54% of the total revenue. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. That's and players claim they get none of this, right, Brandon? That's, that's their claim here. But I looked at Alabama's financial report. They used over $6 million of their athletic revenue last year to fund other academic programs. Okay. So that's just not true. Like they're just acting like people are just pocketing this money. Right. And that's that's not not happening. So, but I'll let you break down your opinion on these. Uh, I got to take a break. I've been raining a lot this segment. So go ahead, man. You take this one over. I mean, I don't know what really there is to say that I haven't said, Uh, you know, I don't know. There's no chance these players are going to get the 50% revenue share. They just, they don't, that's not, that's never going to happen. Even if they do get it, you already heard the breakdown from Zach. Well, I mean, it, depending on the sport, I mean, you can get as little as $10, like Zach said, for softball. Football, obviously, the players would be making a little bit more. But I don't think it stops there if they do end up getting this, right? You know, they do end up getting this and they want, they want this even uh, revenue distribution. But what happens then? I mean, we have the guys who are the, you know, the uh, like three-year starters going to the NFL and then you have a guy who's like a preferred walk-on. He walks out of the team and, you know, he he ends up maybe playing a down or two in, in his four years of the school. So you're telling me both of those guys are going to just be like, yeah, I'll be paid the same. That's fine. No, they're not going to do that. They're Obviously, the guy who's better is going to be like, hey, I want to get paid more. Uh, and I guess this is turned into like an economics uh, seminar. But – I don't know, man. This is, it, it doesn't seem realistic. I, I mean, there's parts of this, you know, there were like 19 points on this, on this third part that, yeah. uh, <laughs> that it's kind of hard to keep up with. I did hear one that I really liked and I can't, I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now. I want to say it was it like, the, sco- the scholarship or the draft. Uh, no, it was the, uh, neither one of the, I mean, well, uh, yes, both of those, but the one I really, really like is like the one free transfer. I love that. You're able to transfer yeah, one I time agree. and just be immediately eligible. 
And I've been on that train since the beginning of this podcast. I, I mean, go back to episode, I don't even know, like three. I think we talked about it somewhere. It wasn't three, but it was way back at the beginning of this podcast. We talked about uh, players transferring and I've been on, I've been on board the whole time. I think that you should have one transfer, you know, things you go to your school, things happen. You want to transfer then you have to sit out for a season. There's no reason for that. So yeah, I, I, I do like that point, but there's a lot more points that I uh, dislike, I guess I would say. I mean, I don't mind the six-year scholarship either, especially because graduate degrees are included. And it's about six years to earn your bachelor's and master's degree in most fields. So yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair one. And you got to remember, like, these football players don't have, especially football players, but just athletes, student athletes in general have much less time to dedicate to studies and stuff like that than the average student. Right. I mean, it, so it's a, big, it's a big difference there. But, Brandon, you mentioned the – distribution of you know breakdown of how these players can get paid and the whole point of this is to protect players who might not make it in the nfl but the players who are making it in in the nfl are going to get the bulk share of this money right right so the kid who is a walk-on who doesn't make it to the nfl is still going to be screwed yeah you got a good point and you know so guys we've spent a, a large amount of time talking about this, but that's our breakdown of this Pac-12 boycott. We're going to keep this updated because I don't think this is over at all. I think once the Pac-12 responds, we're going to get a whole new set of revised uh, requirements from the Pac-12 players. So we're gonna. This is going to be an ongoing topic on the podcast, but we're going to move on here. And the SEC finally made their announcement last week to follow the lead of the Pac-12 and Big Ten. And they're going to play a 10-game conference-only schedule for the 2020 season. Um, it's going to begin on September 26th, and it gives each school – it'll give each school a bit longer to get athletes and protocols ready for the season. Each school is going to play all six of their in-division games and four cross-divisional games. So this eliminates the possibility for the ACC and SEC to schedule those non-conference games or robberies. So games like Georgia Tech, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, and the big one, LSU, Texas, that was supposed to happen or not. The Big 12 is still the last Power 5 conference to announce their plans, but it's expecting it's, it's, it's expected sooner rather than later. So, Brandon, your take on this SEC announcement, and, you know, I'm going to break I, – I I'll wait on this. I, I got a question about the playoff committee here, but I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts about this announcement first. Yeah, um, this is the announcement that I thought I was going to get. It's not the one I wanted to get. You know, I've been looking forward to this LSU Texas game for a while, but I understand. I, I, I want to say I understand why we can't do it, but then there's still the question of of how LSU can't play Texas, but LSU can go to Gainesville and play a game. I mean, they're the same distance away, give or take, maybe even more uh, to Florida. I don't know. In 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 all honesty, I think that like regional games might have been a better choice for the season. Once again, shout out Nick for the idea. But I don't know, man. I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. We're getting football. We're getting all SEC football. I can't be mad about that. Um, I, you know, the four cross-divisional games are good because typically with an, with an SEC schedule, you only get two. So I assume that teams are going to keep their uh, cross-division rival. They'll probably keep the one that they were going to play um, this this season, and then they'll have two more, which you know could be fun or, or it could be really bad. You know, if you're Alabama and they somehow end up playing Tennessee, 
Missouri and then and then uh, Kentucky. You know, they're going to end up playing those three in the, or Vanderbilt. And then we're going to be like, well, okay, I guess we're getting football, but Alabama still doesn't play anybody. Um, that was my little dig at Alabama. But other than that, I mean, it, you know, it's football. It's SEC football. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I wish it would have been more than 10 games. I will say that. I will say that. Yeah, I wish it was be. I wish it was more than ten games. I still like the ACC for the better format. But listen, I, at this point, I'll take almost anything that's going to guarantee football this fall. But Brandon, you'll be happy to hear the way that they're projected. The schedule was supposed to come out today. It didn't. It should come out sometime this week. They're going to pick the next two cross divisional opponents for each team that was supposed to be played next year and then the next year. Okay. So. That means Alabama will most likely draw Florida as their third opponent. So they'll play Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and I don't remember who their fourth opponent was. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is actually Vanderbilt, but I'm not 100% sure. Of course it is. It well, it's, either, it's either Vandy or Kentucky. I, 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 it's one of those two schools, both, I'm pretty both sure. Both very quality football programs, so yeah. Yeah. Sense. So, but yeah, each SEC school will keep any any cross divisional game that was on their schedule already. So, LSU will still play the rivalry against Florida. Auburn will keep Georgia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Tennessee, Bama. So, we'll still see those rivalries, and that's all that matters to me. I, I, you know, could you imagine a year where we didn't have, you know, an an Alabama Tennessee game or an Auburn Georgia game? It was just. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same to be completely honest with you. But I cry myself to sleep every single night. <laughs> but you know, I you know this is an SEC segment. But this so now that the SEC is on board, I want to shift this top this this I guess this topic to another way. We could have probably named it differently, but screw it. I was just thinking about this as I was doing research for this segment. Um, and, you know, the college, the college football playoffs said their benchmark and process of evaluation is not going to change, Brandon. So I see a huge issue with this, and it's that we have four playoff spots available for five Power 5 teams who won't have any games in common. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> so, oh, man. <laughs> so, you know... Most of the time, you could say, "Okay, well, out, well, let's say LSU played Texas, Oklahoma played Texas. We saw how they played out, but then LSU played Texas, Oklahoma played Texas. Well, Alabama played LSU, so how did they stack up? That's non-existent anymore because right. two teams aren't getting in from any conference this year. It, it just cannot happen unless unless something goes horribly wrong in the conference and the conference champion comes out with like four losses." It, it and that's probably not going to happen. We are not going to see two teams in the playoff from the same conference. But you know, you would think if everyone's undefeated, all the conference champions, the SEC and Big Ten are probably locks, right? We could probably agree with that, regardless of who it is. And odds are Clemson's going to go to the ACC, and they're probably a lock, especially with the addition to Notre Dame making the ACC even stronger. Right and. So that leaves the Pac-12 and Big 12. And it worries me because you have a team like Oregon, who is probably the most loaded it's been since it went to the national championship. And you have a team like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, or Texas that are that's also very, very loaded. 
And how do you determine uh, how do how do you determine who's the better team and who gets in? Uh, see, I hear what you're saying with with the there's no chance that two teams from the same conference get in. I I simply don't believe that you're right there. I really don't. Um, I think, and I think that a lot of uh, fans of other conferences will back me on this one. That the uh, the committee loves the SEC, and who knows why? Probably because the SEC is the best co- uh, conference in college football. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, you could you're telling me you couldn't see a world where two teams from the SEC make it to the playoff? No, not a single one. Okay, so the ACC. Okay, so I'll break down each conference. So the Big Twelve doesn't have divisions, so there's no chance that a one loss. Big 12 team wouldn't face off against an undefeated. So like there's never going to be like three, one loss, big 12 teams going into the final weekend. Cause they all have to play each other. Right. And that's going to be the same for the ACC this year. So there's not going to be two teams who have an argument. Someone's going to have to lose in the conference championship game because the two best records go. Okay. And the SEC is going to be a lot tougher. I think because the reason they can't get two is because I don't even see a way that a team might even go undefeated in the SEC. I mean, you know, are you tell are you telling me that Alabama is gonna somehow survive a schedule of Georgia, Florida, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee? Yeah, that's true. And okay. Go undefeated, or what about Georgia having to play Tennessee, Florida, Bama, Auburn, maybe even LSU if that's their draw? I mean, we don't know what the draws are yet, but I don't see these big time SEC teams having a walk to the like a walk to a really good record because what I'm looking at is those games where they can pad that record against Tulane or Kent State or Northwestern. They aren't there anymore. You're going to have to play a real opponent week in and week out. And so I don't see a team getting a break to rest any players or develop players. I mean, these freshmen, if you have a freshman quarterback or a first-year starter at important positions, they're going to be thrown into the fire because you could have Georgia week one. Right. Yeah, fair enough. And and so this is is why I'm playing devil's advocate here for you, Brandon. This is why I wanted to address it. It's because I think this is the situation we're ultimately going to be address with all right i think clemson is going to go undefeated in the acc so they'll be in and they're going to have good wins they're going to have wins over florida state notre dame miami and virginia tech and Pitt, who is a dark horse in the acc so that's five i would say quality wins and they could actually and they'll probably have a win over unc in the acc championship games that's six and so you, you had to throw UNC in. I knew you had to throw UNC okay, in. There, so. Okay, well, so well, well, even if it's not UNC, what happens if they played Notre Dame twice and beat them twice convincingly? Because there's no yeah. conferences, so it's the best record. So okay. if they beat Notre Dame twice, I think that's just as impressive as they beat U- UNC. Because Notre Dame's not a scrub this year. They're, no, well, they're, they're not. usually not a scrub. but And I think Oregon's going to run through the Pac-12 undefeated. Because the Pac-12 is really kind of down. Oregon gets USC at home. So that's a big plus there. And if they get there, they have wins over USC, Washington, Utah, Arizona State, who is going to be much improved. Plus, they're going to have to face the champion, 
of what of the Pac-12 from the other division. So if Oregon's undefeated, I think you have to put them in. You can't look at a undefeated Oregon team and tell them that they're not good enough to be in. I think the the, the only conference I'm questioning is the Big Ten, but I still think Ohio State is the best team in that conference. I, yeah, okay. I really do, and odds of them getting a tougher game. I mean, they lose that road game to Oregon, and what they might have to play what Illinois. Right. That's much more comf- comfortable for Ohio State. Uh, Penn State's going to be a big game, but let's say Ohio State's undefeated. They have wins over Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota. You can't keep them out. No, you can't. And I think the Big Twelve champ is most likely going to be Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. And if that team's undefeated, you can't keep them out. And what happens to the SEC one loss? Because I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do because they've already said that the SEC is the best conference in the country. They've shown that repeatedly by putting two SEC teams in year in and year out. But I don't think you can look at an undefeated Power 5 champion and tell them that they don't belong in the playoffs. No, it's it's definitely going to be a tough decision, but I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say that I can't see a world in which they they kick them out, you know? Yeah, I mean, they couldn't, but that's why I just don't, I don't think, the reason I don't think two teams are going to get in is because they're, I think they already know they're at a disadvantage. They got four spots for five teams who won their conference, and I think they're going to put four conference champions in, and all that's going to do if a conference has a bad year and their and their champ is a three, two or three loss team, I think that'll just make the decision easier, and they'll just put the four conference champs in that have none or one loss. Right. Okay. I really. And how do you evaluate strength of schedule, Brandon? I mean, not only you don't have those out of division games, but UCLA might be a six and four team. But how do you compare that six and four team to a six and four team across any of the other conferences? Because UCLA might be six and four, but they well, who they play Arizona and and Cal and Washington State without Mike Leach. And what what happens if let's say LSU six and four, but they played Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, Florida. I mean, that, I don't think that's comparable, right? But their records are going to say that. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. So, and I think it could go the opposite way too. What if, what if a what if a team is right there fighting for a playoff spot, but a win over a team like let's say a rebuilding or an up and coming Tennessee team looks bad because Tennessee replaces those games that they could have won against weaker opponents, and they have to replace those games with LSU or Texas A and M or Ole Miss or Mississippi State, and they ended up losing some of those. And they might be a three and nine team, or no, a three and seven team, but they're really not that bad. They just played a brutal schedule, right? So I, I'm just really, I, I, so this is a weird year. I mean, Brandon, we've talked about this. This is a very weird year. There's a lot of things going on where people are making adjustments to what college football is going to look like, and I think the playoff committee. This is the year. They should play around and just expand it to six teams for one year and see how it works. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't see the harm in doing that. I mean, so you're like, well, what about COVID? Quarantine them in Dallas. Everything's in Jerry World, no fans. You quarantine them, it, it's chill. 
He ain't got to worry about nothing. And the top two seeds get bye weeks. Three plays six, four plays five. One gets the lowest remaining seed, two plays the other. This allows all the Power Five champs to enter a playoff and allows the top group of five school to make the playoff. Yeah, you're right. So I, I think I think that's what we're gonna have to do. But I, I'm interested to see the SEC schedule when it comes out. Cause oh, I, am too. I, I was hoping you know, I was hoping that pushing this back would allow us to have that schedule. Right. I, I wish, man. But um guys, that is gonna be a wrap on the SEC talk here. We're gonna move on to some breaking news from today. And it's it, it definitely rocked the college football world because today about two o'clock. Dylan Jordan, redshirt freshman TCU linebacker, posted on Twitter accusing head coach Gary Patterson of using the N-word and directing the word at Jordan directly in, in two, I believe it was two occasions. Jordan then said, players skip practice today because of the situation. Well, guys, if you thought this wasn't already complicated enough, senior tight end Artavius Lynn pushed back against Jordan and said that Patterson told Jordan just to stop using the word in the meeting room and said the word in response to Jordan pretty much not registering what he was saying. Saying like, what word, what word? And he said the derogatory word. And he said that Jordan was never called any derogatory word by coach Patterson. He then ended his response, Brandon, by calling Jordan soft, soft as hell, actually. And Jordan has continued being called out by teammates because people are saying his accusations are false and that he's just mad that he hasn't played as much as he was promised during recruiting due to the fact that the letter he wrote accusing Patterson of this, actually the first two paragraphs were about how he didn't play as much as he was promised in recruiting. And then he got to the matter at hand. Um, It continued junior wide receiver, Darius Davis tweeted not to believe everything you see in the media and know the facts before making accusations and reiterated that no one was called the N word and that Jordan needed to have quote unquote, his Twitter fingers canceled ASAP. Lynn made another post uh, saying that players did hold a meeting with Patterson and that the team explained to him why it was unacceptable for him to use the word, even in that context. But the team was still supporting Patterson. And the only reason they missed practice was to have this meeting. So, Brandon, this is a lot of information, a lot of conflicting stuff, but it does seem like the team is backing Patterson here. But what is your take on this news? Man, it's... (laughs) It's it's not good. It's it's starting to seem like one thing after another in college football now. Um, I understand where both sides, I guess, could be coming from. I'm not saying I understand where where Gary Patterson's coming from here because I don't think it's ever okay to use that word, um, even even if you're just using it in the context in which he did the last time, the last one that we know of, anyway. Um, I don't know, man. That's 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 bad. Um, I don't, I don't understand how he thinks that this situation could make him look good in any sort of light. You know, I don't understand how he thinks he's coming out on top after all of this. Um, I, I don't, I mean, obviously if he didn't do it, he didn't do it. But if he did, man, this is a bad look to, to try to defend yourself to this point, to the point where you're going to basically divide your team. Right. <laughs> And so yeah. uh, while, while they said that they skipped practice for a meeting today, uh, I guess we'll see how many more meetings there are until an apology is made or until something's changed. 
Yeah, well, just to reiterate, so it was confirmed that he did say the word in response to saying, don't say this word in the meeting room again, getting on to the player. But then the player said that he called, he said it to him directly in a derogatory manner. And that's what the other players are saying did not happen. They're saying that he's taking a situation, blowing it out of proportion for his benefit. Okay. Well, and I mean, that's the, that, that, that was kind of like the key thing. At first, it did sound like he was making the whole thing up. But so it seems like he had one true thing in a long list of things that wasn't true and then exaggerated the one true thing to make it seem well, like worse. And so it's like, it's like he says, she said, but if most of these, in most of these situations, the player who was targeted is supported by his teammates. I don't think we've seen a situation like this where current teammates even are calling out this dude saying that he's a bum and soft and stuff like that. No, I mean, you know, especially senior leaders. It's like senior players who like are the leaders of the team are saying this. Which really, I mean, I guess that's the reason I'm sitting here thinking maybe, you know, I, you know, I think at least part of this is exaggerated. I understand he said it. He said that word in the locker room, which once again, I'll say never say that. Just don't do it. It's it's what, what do you have to gain by doing that? Um, I don't know. It, it I don't know. <laughs> it is a bad situation. Yeah, and, and, Obviously, we don't know the full story, so we can't fully speak to it. But, man, it's, it's, it's tough. And I think, I mean, so if you're going to address something like this, especially, like you said, in the time where there's some movement going on that's addressing this and this, you're fighting for, for you know, you're fighting for equality here. Like, I mean, you see the NBA, Black Lives Matter, everything. This is a huge movement. You're even having, you know, p- people not involved in the movement. I mean, so, I mean, I know that. Other sports shows have even addressed this. That even even a bunch of like like in some of the protests you see almost you see like this overwhelming majority of just like w- like white people supporting this, and you didn't get that last time. And I think that's amazing. And it's th- that's what the other players were even seem to be echoing is like why make up a lie to further divide this movement? Because if you attach false information to this movement all it does is take away the credibility from this movement in some people's eyes who already are looking for a reason not to support it so why even do it and i think that's why his teammates were so scathing in their critiques is because it's like we're making progress here people are listening to us so why are you why are you doing this to take away from this movement Right. I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. Uh, It's, it's just an awful situation. And I think both parties probably at fault. uh, Yeah, they they definitely are. Cause like, cause he's definitely, definitely cannot use that word in any context. And I just want to say props to the TCU players who pulled him aside in that meeting and was like, listen, we know what you were trying to do, but like that can't happen. It it especially is like, we aren't going to stand for that. We know it. What we know, you didn't mean it in a derogatory way, but like this can't happen. And I, I give props to those TCU players for standing up and educating a coach who really started his coaching career in a different time. Because uh, Gary Pass has been at TCU for what twenty one years. It's been a while. It's been a long time. So I just want to say props to those TCU players. And I think that's what a few players said: is like, listen, like educate him. Don't come out and make up lies about him. Right. And it's it's they're both in the wrong though. I mean, don't get me wrong because he can't say that word, but you shouldn't lie and try to ruin someone's career for something that didn't happen. I mean, because 
if this was true, I don't think TCU would have even hesitated. He probably would have been fired today. Yeah, like I mean, the story it, it, that like he said happened. Right. No, you, you're absolutely right. Um, and I mean, he's been such a big part of 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 this TCU program for so long. I mean, there's a statue of this man at TCU. Ready uh, <laughs> already. Right. That's, which is crazy to me. That's a whole other story about the the current coach statues. That's stupid. But um, no, I mean, he's he's obviously. I mean. I can see where the people in uh, at TCU would take his side to an extent, but I think you're right. I mean, if this were like proven, hey, he's he's been calling players this, he would have been off campus this afternoon. You're right. Yeah, uh, before it even came out, I mean, it would have been bad. But I want to address one last thing before we move on here, cutting this segment a little bit short because we drug on early. But, you know, effort, like his whole rant at first that took away from, I think his claim is he ranted for two paragraphs about how he was promised playing time, but didn't get to play last year. And right. then he addressed something like this. If you, if this like was as blatant as you said, it was come out and say that you don't have to preface it by saying I was recruited and promised this and promised that. I mean, and Brandon, you, regardless if you're a five star or a walk on, Coaches might promise you something, but they have expectations for that to happen. And if you don't live up to those expectations in practice, how do you expect to see the field? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because they're making you that promise that like, hey, we saw this film in high school. You're dominating. We, If you do that same thing when you come here, you'll see the field early. But if you come and you screw you screw around and you don't you don't do the things you have to do to get better and you don't show that you're the best player at that position, regardless if they promised you or not, why do you think you deserve a spot on the field? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's true. And it's, it's not only that, it's contingent on a lot of things. So, I mean, you can't expect something that you did in the past to carry you forever. That's just, that's the case. Definitely, definitely definitely not. But guys, that is a wrap on today's episode. Guys, we appreciate everyone who listens. You can find us on social media, Instagram at the underscore blue bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods and Facebook at the blue bloods pod. Um, you know, check out our website, thebluebloodspod.com. You can find all our recent articles, catch up on the podcast. We got links to our YouTube. If you want to go to YouTube, just look up the Blue Blood CFB podcast. Find us there, subscribe. But keep telling everyone about the podcast, guys. We appreciate everybody. But for right now, we out. Mm-hmm.